spending so much time with Gaga. How did that change you? Something that was a dream of mine, I'd be embarrassed to say out loud. To her, I could be like, what if you were covered in crystals and came in on a dragon who had ice coming out of his mouth? We could have those kind of conversations because you don't have anyone there going, what? That's impossible. That's stupid. You just have somebody going, yeah, oh my God. And then you like walk in the next day and there's like a dragon blowing ice out its mouth. You're like, ah! <laughs> What's up, guys? Welcome back to episode number 72 of Connection is Magic. Thank you so much for coming back and tuning in. This week, as always, another super special guest, Tara Savello, longtime makeup artist and personal makeup artist to Lady Gaga for many years. Actually met Lady Gaga prior to her blowing up and got to kind of ride that whole roller coaster of superstardom fame with her in real time. We get to hear a lot of really interesting behind-the-scenes perspective stories on that experience, as well well as a bunch of health challenges that hit Tara. She had to get off tour because of them and what she's learned throughout the process of the ups and downs, per usual, on this podcast. We also get into when she first discovered when she wanted to be a makeup artist and how her friends at the time didn't really get it and were kind of naysaying her about it and how she kind of leapt anyways and went for it. Super important lesson we need to take away. Very inspiring. So many great moments in this interview. Here we go. Welcome, everybody. To Connection is Magic. I'm your host, Samson Shulman, a former music executive turned podcaster and coach. In a world obsessed with the highlight reel and keeping our difficulties hidden behind the curtain, we end up feeling lonely and isolated, and opportunities for human connection are missed. On this podcast, we dive deep with our guests and get them to share those dreaded, unfiltered pieces. We learn how to make lemonade out of life's lemons and realize adversity isn't sent to break us, but rather shape us into the greatest versions of ourselves. We appreciate you spending some time with us. Now let's begin our journey back home to connection. Welcome everybody to a very special episode today. We have Tara Savello on the podcast. Let's kick it off with when did you know you wanted to do makeup and and be a stylist? When I was little, every weekend with my best friend in Florida, we would get disposable cameras, go to the thrift store and pick out clothes. And my mom would give me her old makeup and we would recreate photos from magazines that we had torn out. So we would do full photo shoots when we were 12, 11 for years. So I did it a lot then as a hobby. And I moved to LA when I was around 17, got in my car and drove there with some friends. I wanted to be an actress. <laughs> there was three of us, three girls, and my friend Vanessa had her two dogs. I had the Honda Civic hatchback and all my belongings. And so it's a two-door sports car. It's very movie-esque. It's very much a movie. <laughs> and I had a lot of blankets and down covers. And so the whole back of the hatchback was just like an igloo. And we all smoked cigarettes at the time. So yeah. there was a lot of out the sunroof and then back into the igloo of comforters, cigarettes, two dogs in the back. I don't think we'd stopped at hotels because we didn't have the money. So we took turns driving and sleeping. Let's talk about those early first days. What were they like? (laughs) There was a lot of partying because I had grown up not drinking, not going to parties or anything. So I moved in with my friends and we had a lot of parties at that house. I took acting classes with different people, tried to get agents, go on auditions. A lot of it was really shady. Shady characters, classic (laughs) Hollywood shit. Yes, because you're like, oh, I'm here. This is awesome. This looks like an opportunity. And then you get there and there'd be a couple creepy dudes in the room who wanted you to read some overly sexual things or do some weird things. You'd be like, I haven't seen what this should be (laughs) or roles that you're hoping that no one ever sees. So there was a lot of things like that. Did you do any cringe B-list movies <laughs> yes, or I anything did. that you're embarrassed of? <laughs> really, really cringe. For the record? I had gotten headshots a few times. You pay a ton of money for that. It's bundled in. You pay for your hair and makeup. And every time I would look in the mirror afterwards and feel so ugly when you're like oh I'm gonna get my hair and makeup done I'm gonna look like the best me like a movie star and then it happens and you feel like you look terrible the worst version of you it makes you feel like oh I don't really have the potential to be beautiful so I had a friend who had gone to makeup school and she did my eye makeup for a party one night and I remember 
looking in the mirror like, wow, that's what makeup can do, can make you feel beautiful, change how your face looks and do these wonderful things for you. Not that long after that, I was in a rut, like, this isn't going anywhere. This is so much effort and so much embarrassment, zero money. It's so expensive. When I would scan my credit card to buy a pack of cigarettes, holding my breath that it wasn't going to get declined. So I had that for so long and woke up one day and was like, makeup. Okay, what's the step for that? I got to go to class. So my mom helped me luckily and I signed up for this class at MUD and it snowballed from there. Mm -hmm. So it was the sign that I was on the right path. How do people know that they're on the right path, Tara? I think that if you're working towards something that's going to make you happy, it's something that you love, then it's always worth fighting for. Part of it, I think, is you are good at this thing. And you're willing to put the time in to sharpen your skills and become great at it. If you want to work in the entertainment industry... A lot of that includes waking up every morning and looking up every single job in your field, especially when you work in any fields that are creative. A lot of those jobs, you could be at the top of an industry, but each job is one job. Even a big actor may be the star of a huge movie, but when that movie ends, they then have to go get another movie in order to even keep working. So it has to be something that you're so passionate about that it's worth that to you. Because it's a lot easier to go and get a job that sustains you and you don't have to fight for it every day that you go in and you clock in and you clock out and you make enough money to survive. And maybe you don't love it, but it's steady and there's not a thousand people trying to steal your job every day. It's a calm road and you can climb up and make more and get raises. But in this field... It doesn't work like that. Usually I booked the job that I booked for six years, but that is so rare in this industry. So let's go there. You had all this, is my credit card going to work? You made it up through all those moments and the sleeping at your friend's places. Talk to us about where your headspace was prior to getting that job with Lady Gaga. I was working on a HGTV show called Outdoor Room. I was the makeup artist and I was the stylist. So I had the wardrobe in my car and it wasn't a huge paycheck. So I would also every morning look for all the jobs I could get. And I had my mentor who works at Smashbox Studios in cosmetics who would book me for whatever jobs she had, fashion shows and photo shoots and shoots at Smashbox Studios and all these different things. But they weren't every day. So I did this show from early morning till afternoon every day. And then on the weekends and nights, I would take these other makeup jobs, special events and photo shoots. And so at the time, Fashion Week was coming in LA. So I was about to lead my first Fashion Week show. And so that was a really big deal. It was really exciting. And I got called to assist on the Bad Romance music video. And so at the time, that wasn't that big. I'm getting called to be someone's assistant. And Lady Gaga wasn't the Lady Gaga she is today. So it was gonna fall on a couple day chunk that was gonna then have me not at my day job and my fashion show. So I don't know what to do. I have this offer. But I have these other commitments. Like not going to go, basically? Yeah, because I've committed to these other things first. These people who've like given me so many opportunities, I don't want to blow that off and mess that up for something that is a one-off. So I called my friend and she was like, you have to do this. I'm going to cover for you for those. You need to do it. I was like, okay. And then for the next two weeks, every morning or the night before, I'd get a call to go and assist for a TV show or something that Gaga was doing, assisting her makeup artist. And I'm the makeup artist and wardrobe for all of three stars on this TV show. Mm -hmm. And I have all the clothes in my car. (laughs) So the first day I called in sick and I went and assisted. And I think it was an Ellen show. And then the next day there was another one, the same friend filled in for me, Adrienne. She's amazing. And so by the third day I was, I can't, It's going to be obvious. I'm not, whoops, I'm sick. And so I told the host 
we're really close. This guy, Jamie Dury. Was, okay, look, here's what's really happening. He was also an executive producer on the show. And so I knew if I came clean to him, there was a chance I could get fired right then and there. Yeah. But I also knew it was the right thing to do. And so I was like, here's what's happening. I'm getting called to all these Lady Gaga jobs, and I'm not really sick, but Adrian can cover for me. You said at the time you did Bad Romance, she wasn't the Gaga that we know now, but was she quickly becoming that? Not yet, because this was one week of promo. Bad Romance hadn't come out yet, so Just Dance and Poker Face were out. But she had one security person with her, and there wasn't people waiting outside hotels. The host, he's Australian. He was like, Tazzy, that's amazing. So he was super happy for me. And I was like, okay, cool. So at that point, there was an award show. And I was told that she had requested me for a tour. But they told her I worked on this TV show, so I couldn't go. I was like, no, I would totally go. So they told her I was available. And then it was the next couple days of me being pulled out of my job to go do these other jobs with her. But no one told me if I was going on tour or not. So I was in limbo. Some days I'd be on set like, hi, everyone, I'm back. And the next day I'd be gone. And then the day before, I think I finally got told and I was on set. We were at this house and all of the executive producers and what people own the network were at the craft service table. And so I thought I was in trouble. I was like, oh, no, they're mad at me because they never came to the set. They called me over and then they had this big Disney princess cake that was like, congratulations. The exact opposite of what you thought was going to happen, <laughs> Exactly. Right? That's incredible. But and I so, was only being hired for a two-week trial period. So to, to go on tour with Gaga was a two-week trial. Yeah, saying, it was right? the okay. Monster Ball Theater Tour. And it was so, only booked initially, I think, for three months. But we ended up being gone for a year and a half on that tour. Crazy. What was the first show? Was there a lot of nerves and stuff? Oh my God, yeah. We went to Canada. So I think we were in Montreal first. Everyone spoke French. And so we were there for Thanksgiving. And I remember I was walking around the city by myself, trying to find somewhere to eat. And everyone spoke French. And then the first two nights, Billy, who I was assisting, he did her makeup. And then the third night left. And so... What do you mean left? Left the tour? Yeah. It was supposed to be training me, but there wasn't really a transition. So then that third night, I was crazy nervous. Soon after, we went to Boston, where I'm originally from, so my family was there. And I did her makeup for a daytime thing. And she was so happy that she then scheduled me to go with her to the UK for this shoot with Nick Knight to meet the Queen. I hadn't traveled the world before. At least you'll get to go to the UK if you get sent home tomorrow. It felt like a reality show. The tension, like, you might go home tomorrow, but at least you went to Canada and you went the uk a lot of could this really be happening is this real yeah you know what i mean it's it's a mixture of do i deserve this so many people could be doing this job right yeah i don't think that really fades i always had that but after years working (laughs) with lady gaga you still had that feeling of yeah because i was there for six years and we were really close really good friends but it didn't change that disassociation where you have your little insulated world and Especially when you have your little insulated world of these people that you see every day, they're real to you, who they are. But then in the outside world, unbeknownst to you, there's this growth of who these people are. When we began in 2009, there wouldn't be people outside the hotel. There wouldn't be people waiting outside the venue, really. And this started to change and ramp up to the point where by 2012, I couldn't walk outside the hotel without people screaming my name. And there would be barricades outside the hotel with hundreds of people. I could go in a car ride a couple miles away to go somewhere and the people would come up to me and ask me for photos and autographs. So you're still in this little bubble and everything outside is changing, but you don't see it. It's not like we're seeing tabloid magazines or watching E or TMZ or seeing what this perception is that's shifting. But one day you wake up and you're like, whoa, we're in Rio and there are 10,000 people outside who scream every time we like move our blinds. It's weird, (laughs) but it's cool and it's awesome. But it's also it doesn't nothing prepares you as things change. And as you're saying that, it makes sense, though. Everybody on that team, you, Gaga, everybody else work their asses off. So when you work your asses off consistently, it's almost like, of course, 
this could happen. It's the natural progression of something, but you make an interesting point of having not a three-dimensional view of it, having a one-dimensional view of that growth. I like how you said that. Yeah, your shows are getting extended and this is doing really well. And so we're adding another year and a half on. But at the same time, you're only really focused on morning until night. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow, we have three security people with us all the time. And things are different. Did you notice as things were getting there on the outside, were people's egos on the team changing? Um, or did everybody stay pretty grounded? For the know? most part, the only the the people that the fans really latched onto were me, Freddie, of course Gaga and her choreographers and stylists and some security guards because they're hunky and they're a very intense fan base so they do find out everything about everyone suddenly i'd see baby photos of me i haven't seen since i was a kid and i'm like where did you get these i think because people who were there all day every day had the same experience as me where it's like there's no time to get caught up in anything because you're so busy and you're always next to someone who's now the biggest star in the world. So you're never thinking, oh, I'm super dope. And your job as a makeup artist or a hair person is to make sure that this person is always fabulous and gorgeous and constantly doing touch-ups. So focus is always outward. And if it's ever inward, it's, oh no, I did a terrible job on that. There are people whose egos get big being around a successful artist. I think with us, it almost had the opposite effect. She created this app called littlemonsters.com. So we were encouraged to interact with the fans on a daily basis in these chat rooms. Any work that you did where they don't like what you did or have an opinion on it, they're extremely vocal and extremely critical and before nobody knew who we were and nobody cared everybody was like oh she's the one with the crazy wigs and makeup no one really thought about the fact that like there was people behind that then if they thought something was too crazy or they didn't like it or whatever they were just like oh she's so wild but suddenly they had people to aim their opinions at but when it comes to doing someone's hair and makeup it's up to people think is aesthetic what people think is beautiful when you're doing really creative things sometimes it's you're doing it to be outrageous and creative so something that person liked yesterday maybe by tomorrow when people are that was too weird whereas if you're doing someone's makeup for a wedding it's i look gorgeous the pictures look gorgeous congratulations (laughs) it's not nine years later you guys were pushing You guys were pushing the boundaries. She showed up in a meat suit, for God's sakes, at one of these award shows. It's definitely a different level that no one can ever be prepared for. It's hard being that scrutinized. Usually the people around the artist aren't as scrutinized as the artists themselves. But in your case, Lady Gaga's got some diehard, diehard fans. Yeah, and they're amazing. They still give me so much love and so much support. But I think in the case of saying, asking whether or not the people who contribute to her creativity, whose egos could get out of hand, I think, because you're so hyper-focused every moment on doing better than you did before. You don't even have time to process what's happening because you're like, okay, I have to do another makeup in an hour. (laughs) You're always looking forward and trying to get things done and trying to be the best you could be because you're working for the best. So everything is the most important thing ever. If you have something you need to bring up that's a business thing and you're looking for a good time, there's never a good time because this is for the president and this is for the queen. And then this one's for if everything with her is literally going to be for someone else, the biggest day of the world. So what did that feel like for you? You learn that if anyone needs to get time in, do your thing because tomorrow she'll be given the key to the city of Taipei. Everything is, nothing's not important. You learn to be on the same vibrations as the people around you and work together in harmony where you're not having to verbalize things. You learn when to verbalize things and when to read what to do. So when people ask me, oh, how did you guys formulate different looks or talk about them? Most of the time, we enter the room together and start and it comes together. I very much admire people who have face charts, a loose drawing of a face shape, the colors on it of what they're going to do mapped out and they have 10 options for someone to choose from. 
that does not happen in the kind of work that I did. That does not come into play. You guys were really spontaneous. You, together, we had to be. You, yeah. Unless you're doing something that's coming up that you're planning for a music video shoot months ahead. But even then, everything up until then is jam-packed. You don't get tons of creative meetings about that thing. You'd have to always so have ideas because you're going to do maybe 10 looks in a day sometimes. You're not sitting there plotting. It's off the top of no, your that's head. Cool. I would have never expected that answer, honestly, because I'm like, this is the biggest artist in the world and everything's going to be mapped out. And so it's interesting that's actually not the way you guys did it. We all spent so much time together. So that did help. Let's say we're watching a movie <laughs> and we get inspired to like, oh, I love that color of those drapes. And then that leads us into, wouldn't it be cool if you had this and that? And then Freddie's like, ooh, I would love it if I could create this wig that was like this fantasy. And then from that, I get an idea for, ooh, and then what if you look this? And then she comes up with some insane, awesome idea for this flying piano. And then that's the idea. So it's not something drawn out and a proposal. It's us all being, ooh, and then what if you're a fairy and you're flying and there's sparkle? Things that sound maybe to someone else like, yeah. you can't do that's crazy. But you have someone that you're working for who, when you say things that sound insane, they're like, yes. We're doing that. And then you show up and I there's a that. flying piano and you're like, yeah, that's what I, that's what I thought. <laughs> you were like, is my credit card going to work? <laughs> now you're doing all these, the queen, the president. What was the most surreal moment for you going from those rough times to your biggest highlight on the six-year journey that you had with Gaga? Oh, gosh. Oh, there's a lot of them. My most surreal moment. I would say going to do the first movie with Robert Rodriguez. We did Machete Kills and we were doing a movie with Robert Rodriguez and we're at his whole compound and we're in a trailer sitting there creating a character for his movie and he's just like, you guys do whatever you want. So it was you, Gaga, and, and Freddie, Robert Rodriguez. And Brandon, Freddie. who's right. the stylist. So we're in this trailer and then Danny Trejo comes in and sits down. He's gonna get a big fake tattoo put on for the movie and he's just like yeah lady gaga i fucking love you you're so cool and he's the nicest guy ever and he's sitting in the chair next to us while i'm doing her makeup and i'm like this is awesome robert rodriguez is popping his head and showing us all his collectibles and stuff there's a lot of those moments there's, on the journey there's a lot of them i was raised with James Taylor. My mom sang me James Taylor when I was in her stomach when she was pregnant. I love James Taylor. If I can't sleep, I'll put on James Taylor or Cat Stevens. That's my music that calms me. So we did a tribute to Carol King. So there was a lot of pe performers in the backstage room. They have a paper sign that says their name on it. And so right next to ours, it was James Taylor. He came out of his little curtain. I was like, ah! <laughs> It's people like that. We'd meet a lot of new celebrities that I would be geeking out over. That makes sense. We didn't touch on this yet, but I think it's important because there's so much stress, I imagine, keeping this gargantuan ship going, right? So much pressure. Can you talk us through how you guys, as a the inner core team of you, Freddie, Gaga, did you guys talk that through with each other? Guys, this is really stressful would there be room to have an open dialogue when people were stressed um and you mean like um, being remote a lot of people they think you still keep in touch like it's easy you have cell phones but once you start doing international tours it's hard because you can be on a completely opposite time zone than everyone else so when it's midnight for you it's noon for them that kind of an extreme and so when you're already exhausted and you're already working early mornings until late night and you don't have text messages because you can't text people internationally. So you would have to FaceTime or write an email or something. And it's easy to not talk to people for a couple months. It's hard to find the time when you're exhausted and just want to like take a shower and zone out and fall asleep to have a FaceTime conversation with somebody when it's in the middle of the night for them. So you can very easily feel alone 
because you're isolated from everyone that you know. So having yeah. at least one person that you work with who are traveling with you, who you're close to that you can talk to about things, spend right. time mm-hmm. with. And I was lucky enough to have that. So I had a few people that on the road with me who were in the core groups that I was able to share what I was feeling with and vice versa. And if I didn't have that, it would be impossible. No one else understands you. People at home, if you do talk to them, to other people, it's, oh my gosh, you're so lucky. You're staying in a five-star hotel. Poor you. It's hard to even convey anything that you're feeling or experiencing, even the exciting things you're experiencing. People get over them. Why the exciting thing? After the first couple, it's almost Mm. like you're rubbing it in everyone else's Mm. face. Unless it's Mm. your parents. (laughs) Your parents are going to be excited. But even then, you don't have the time or energy to be like, oh my gosh, I had 10 amazing things happen today. You don't even have time to process it. Never mind, tell someone else. So uh, mentally and emotionally, you have to have someone who's experiencing something similar to even like sit in silence with for sure let's go to when this wild six-year ride was coming to an end and and let's go through those emotions that you were feeling for a couple years into the tour we all got like kind of sick and whenever someone would get sick we would all get sick so i would have all these little air purifiers in my bunk i would make sure i wouldn't get sick so this was the first time that I had gotten sick on tour. So I was kind of like, oh, okay, something finally got me. And then I seems like I couldn't get over it. I was still working every day. So I would push through it. What were some of the symptoms? Headache, um, lethargic, not really nauseous, energy, you know. migraines, mm-hmm. more exhausted than usual. You find it normal to like be exhausted, but this was different. I suddenly mm-hmm. couldn't sleep anymore. So I would fall asleep maybe at 10, 30 if I could get in bed by then. But then I'd wake up at 11 and then I'd be up the entire night until I went to work. So I was getting a half an hour of sleep every night, but yeah. I'd be exhausted, but I couldn't fall asleep. I had cold and my hands were Got swelling, it. It like sausage okay. fingers and feet. I was like, what's happening? Maybe it's from the plane. I mm. went home for a day or two because we had like day off for Thanksgiving and I ended up in the emergency room because I couldn't breathe. So I thought I had anaphylactic shock. I ended up in the emergency room and then I had to leave to go back on tour. So I was just like, whatever. I had an allergic reaction to something. After that, I was having symptoms like that. And then Gaga was like, I think you have lupus. My aunt had lupus and she died of it. So she took me to a lupus doctor. At this point, it was everything was increasing. I was having trouble breathing. I was having this weird swelling in my legs and my hands and my feet. And that my extremities were turning colors, but I was still doing my regular job. So I was trying to hide it. And there'd been a couple times before that where we were all in the dressing room, me and Freddie and my friend Brandon, who's a stylist, and we'd be talking and laughing. And then all of a sudden I would just like fell over. I had the moment of like a blackout. But, really scary. you know, you're busy. It's like the president's out there and she's about to come back in. So one of the times I fell on the glass table, but I didn't break it. So I put everything back and got up before everyone came back in. So it was a couple of times the only one who knew what was happening was Freddie because he was worried about me. And I was like, it's fine. I have tall shoes on. I probably like lost my balance. So all of these things accumulating and me going to this doctor and she said I had lupus. And so I was like, okay, what does that even mean? What do I do? I don't want to be swollen like a sausage and feel like my skin's bursting and I can't breathe. So she gave me some meds and then we went on the road. You know, we're gone. I was taking them. Some of the swelling went down and carried on my life. And then we were in South Africa and we went on this amazing safari. It was the raddest thing ever, a dream of mine. And then on the way back, we were in this van and I was having a migraine. And my migraines get really bad. So if other things come along with it, I'm like, oh, it's just a migraine. So I was having weird audio hallucination things. So I got to the hotel and was at the front desk and one of our security guys, who's really sweet and perceptive, was like, do you know where you're going? And I couldn't verbalize. Like I knew what I needed to say, but I couldn't make the words come out. And I knew where my room was and I knew where my key was, but I couldn't put the thoughts together. The neurons couldn't form the connections in my brain. And so I looked at him, my eyes welled up, I like started crying. And so he was like, Okay, I got it. And he talked to the concierge, got a key, walked me in my room, got me in. And then that night, I don't know if I was sleeping 
if I was hallucinating, but I saw all the jungle animals in my room all night. But I wrote that off as a dream, but I am seeing them, but I have a migraine, whatever. So the next day, we had a show, and I was in her room getting her ready to go to the venue. And there was a medic person there for her, an IV or something. And so I quietly pulled him aside and was like, hi, when the show starts, will you come and find me? And they were like, sure. They didn't ask any follow-up questions. So I got her makeup done for the show and I sent her to stage because I didn't want her to worry. And then as soon as I left the glam table, I knew mentally that I did what I needed to do or something. And I guess I collapsed. I don't remember. The medic came and my friends Swanson and Wiggins, who were filming us for a documentary, were in the dressing room. So luckily they were there. And I had a fever of 103 or something crazy. It might have been higher than that. They called an ambulance and I was really focused on like, nobody tell her that this is happening because it's going to mess up the whole performance. So they took me to the ER and Terry, who was her trainer, came with me. She was super sweet. I don't really remember the first night, but they somehow got Nelson Mandela's neurologist and they did a spinal tap and said I had either encephalitis or meningitis. My brain was swollen. Yeah. I told them that I'd been diagnosed with lupus. And so they were like, okay, maybe the lupus went to your brain because lupus can affect all types of your body. But either way, I had to stay for three days on a steroid. I had to be on an IV of meds. But luckily, there was three days in between the shows. There's one in Johannesburg and one in Cape Town. And so I was focused on as long as I can make it to the next city by the next show, then okay, do whatever you need to do. So two of my friends who were producers on her album stayed back and took turns in the hospital sitting by my bed. And then we flew together, the three of us, to the next city. We flew that night to Russia on our little tour plane. And the whole flight, I thought my head was going to explode. I found out later, if you have a spinal tap, you're like not supposed to get on a plane. And I got on two flights. One of them was long. So that's why my head, because it's like the actual pressure from tapping your spinal fluid. You're not supposed to be in a pressurized cabin. So I thought I had a migraine. Wait, the doctors failed to well, tell here's you the that thing. you shouldn't be flopping? If you're out, like, working for like a superstar, it changes all of the rules. It Who happens. That, I'm though? telling you, you say from that? life experience. Like, like you throw everything to the no, side. No, I'm this saying is they like, can like you? have a doctor there and they're like, oh, Lady Gaga? And they're wow. like, yeah, that's cool. Nobody told me. Or if they did tell me they, that I shouldn't get on a plane, I wouldn't have heard it because I was like, <laughs> my brain was swollen. So, you know what? In their defense, maybe they did tell well, me. I feel like you might have blocked it out because I feel like when we spoke for the first time, we touched on it's in everybody's head to not leave this thing. A, because you're, yeah. you've grown close to everybody on the team. So there's this, we're all doing this together. But then there's the feeling of also shit i don't want to get replaced too both of those things it's not enabling Same you to decisions, make yeah. healthy decisions and you feel like yeah, everything yeah, you're that you're doing healthy. is the most important thing in the world and every time they like want to schedule something you're like no i have the inauguration we're going wow. to elton john everything is something so major that you really have to have people in your life who are like okay you alluded to this earlier when people are in these glamorous positions and doing these things, I feel like oh. pain can get diminished. People, yeah. human humanity can get squeezed out. It's like, no, dude, you're still a human being. I wish that you would have been able to slow down a bit. And as you're sharing the story, I'm like, man, you yeah. went through the ringer. What you're saying yeah. is true. You've got to be all in it. You can't be one foot in and one foot out. But there should at least be some awareness of your own mental health or you're going to burn out and it's not going to last anyways. Yeah. So you should, I'm saying for other people that might find themselves in this who might have not crashed from pushing themselves to that level. I think that even if you're carving out 10%, I don't know, go take a walk or call a friend or go seek therapy. Do something because otherwise yeah, you're going you know, to crash and burn like, anyway. Like, do exercise, go for runs every morning on the road or meditate or whatever. 
I found with my particular situation, I didn't have any time to do anything. But you can also enter a situation setting your own boundaries. There's different ways to do things. I think I might be the kind of person who if I do something, I'm all the way in. We learn from experiences where we fall on our face. That's how we learn the best. Could you have taken a breath? Could you have spoken to somebody else? Could you do something differently yeah, but died, here's the crazy died. thing though. Like Going, I like yeah. almost died, and like when I left, it was because I was like about to go to the emergency room again. We'd been traveling with hyperbaric oxygen chamber for me, doing anything possible to keep me on the road. The for last sure. year, yeah. I did. She hosted SNL. I did collaborating with Jeff Koons. I collaborated with Robert Wilson, and my art was in the Louvre at that time. This is all that matters to me is my career. So that's what I'm going to do. I feel differently now. I don't feel that way anymore. But at the time, that's how I felt. It was, I want to build something amazing. And I did that. And so I think being realistic about your goals, of course, you can achieve anything that you want. You can make anything possible. Anything that hasn't been done before, you can be the first one to do it. But I think that the amount of attention and focus and energy that we have as human beings to be incredible is boundless, but laser focusing in on one thing, you can be a superstar at that one thing. I agree. I agree. The only sort of asterisk, if you will, to that is what I've learned working in entertainment is like, if you want things to last, you need to yeah. carve out a little bit of self-care for yourself. Otherwise, I think you're going to get there, but the yeah. journey will be shorter yeah, I- lived, I think. Professional athletes, same thing. Athletes sacrifice a lot. They're in the gym. They don't get to see their family. To do extraordinary things does require sacrifice, does require focused energy. But I've also seen people that do that and they go fucking crazy. It was only sustainable for a certain amount of years. The visual of you going around the world (laughs) with a hyperbaric oxygen tank, that's pretty intense, dude. Like that's the thing is I wasn't unhappy. I was very happy. Just my body was like, yo, yo, chick, let me out of here. But mentally and emotionally, I was very happy. So that's why I was like, I don't want to stop doing this. Like, I love this. So that's where it's like any self-care that I would need, I didn't really know what it was. It was like the doctors couldn't tell me, like, what would I need to do to get better? They were like, we don't really have a cure for this. But, like, probably what you're doing isn't helping with you and Gaga, right? I'm assuming yeah. had like a one-on-one conversation. I assume yeah. like you guys might have both had tears about you having to leave this. I mean, yeah. I'm hoping at this point your body wasn't functioning. Gaga did support you, and you gotta you gotta do this to live. Basically, what was that conversation like? Yeah, it was like you know, obviously we wanted to be together because we we're very close at the time. Like best friends and used to working together all the time so it was like we were just together all the time so that was also part of why it was harder to leave too it was like this is like my group my crew so like if I'm gonna be anywhere this is like where I want to be after you had that talk and left you went back to your family right in Missouri first I went to LA so like my friend Sonia who worked with us came with me to LA and she helped me find like the apartment I wanted on the beach and I moved in there and I was like still kind of like on an adrenaline high like painting every day and like I'm gonna do this I'm gonna do that I'm gonna do this and it's kind of still like blowing past whatever was happening with my body with like pure adrenaline and kind of like still didn't want to rest because Kind of like if I rested, then I would just not be able to get back miles up. an hour for like six years at this point, right? So it's like, how do you even stop that? Yeah. Then my mom came to visit me and was like, come home with me for a week or two. And so I packed like an overnight bag and came with her to St. Louis. Then once I got to my mom's house, I like slept for like two weeks. And that was the first time my body like shut down. I was like, thank you. And that's when I kind of, you know, like conked out and I didn't end up going back to my apartment. Something about like maybe being with my mom and like having somebody like taking care of me, not having to like, 
you know, I'm in this apartment yeah, building. Yeah. It's like sounds in the hallways all the time. And I'm like, order my groceries and get my thing. It's like I could just like sleep and relax and not have to worry about anything. My brain just was there for like a year. Like I just slept, was in bed, ate food. I mean, when my mom came to visit me, I was like 89 pounds. So here you are a year into basically doing nothing. Like just watching like TV, like Netflix and stuff and like loving it. <laughs> like I put my cell phone downstairs in the house on the because the sound of it vibrating on silent would give me such anxiety that I didn't even I'd try to put it like on the I had a huge room to stay in too. So I'd try to put it on the other side of the room, on the floor, on carpet. And when it vibrated, I could feel it and hear it and it would like make my heart pound. So I ended up having it downstairs in the house. And just like being able to just relax and not have to go anywhere. I mean, to this day, I love that. Like people have like a day off and they want to like go do stuff and be active and like go places. And my favorite thing to do is like to not have to be anywhere and like just watch stupid TV and like lay down. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the most fun ever. I'm like, if I don't have to be anywhere, don't make make me plant. No, no, we're like watching Netflix again. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, luckily, he likes the same things. We like, we also like toys, like put together Legos and like zone out and watch Um, movies. So, so, (laughs) yeah, I mean, we're making light of this a little bit, but like you were really in a tough spot, to be honest, for that first year. Your whole system was in shock, basically, right? For that first year, though. And yeah, I didn't even like, I can't even tell you. I'll, I'll watch a show now or a movie that I know that I watched in like the first maybe two years that I was home and I don't remember anything. Wow. Like I'm, it's like, I'm watching it for the first time and then like little things will like, I'll be like, did I watch this? And then there's like something in one episode. I'm like, Oh yeah, I have seen this, but I couldn't tell you what happened. And I so like barely remember it that it seems like something I like watched in mm. passing or something. it's the weirdest thing. So, like, for the first year and a half, maybe even two years, I was just, like, I don't even know what I was... I wasn't Mm. doing anything, but I was doing a lot of things. Like, I was trying to do things. So, I'd have, like, a cell phone and a laptop and the TV going and, like, a drawing pad and a writing pad. I'd be, like, writing and drawing. Sometimes I'd have a canvas on my bed and I'd be painting because I just felt like if I didn't have a thousand things happening at once, it's scary, like I needed place so many stimulating right? things the scariest happening. place was nothing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's like I could not have silence. Now I can like just zone out and watch something or like play a game. But at yeah. that time I needed like 10 yeah. things occupying my mind. I almost feel like I didn't want to like have like your a body's way of almost like you couldn't be with the silence. I feel like because you were ignoring the messages that your body was giving you for so long. It's almost like being with a friend that you didn't listen to, that they were like trying to tell you something and just being alone in silence with that friend. How awkward would that be? Yeah. During this period, Tara, like did part of you after a year of being in that way, want to, check in with Gaga, the team, like, you know, cause you would form these close relationships. Well, yeah, I still like talk to people, but it took me like a little while. Like I needed my space. So like at some point I turned my phone off like, because people were trying were to doing, get a hold right? of yeah. me because I wow. like didn't have the energy to talk. To speak out Honestly, it was probably triggering for you because it it brought back all those, like, that anxiety and those emotions. Like you said, the foam was on the carpet. (laughs) Yeah, it was like I felt like I had to, like, respond if somebody, like, 
reached out to me. And if I didn't have it in me, then that was anxiety. So it was just like clean break. Yeah. Just like turn the phone off. Like it doesn't matter. Like nothing. You're none of this is work now. So like your my mind was so trained to like be on it. Like you get an email, you get a text respond immediately. (laughs) I'm like, Tara, this is not like you do whatever you want to do. Like if somebody texts you, you don't have to respond within five minutes. This is not like this isn't work, but it's like hard to distinguish that when you're so used to having everything be like there's like ten people who are all work people who might be texting you on behalf of the person you work for. Being that you worked, you know, in music for a while, there's this like hyper turnover thing that happens in music, right? Like, you know, it's like who the biggest star is changes, right? Like Katy Perry today, it's not the same. So, and there's a a hundred thousand examples of of that. So what are your thoughts on that? My thoughts on that are I've watched it like from somebody right next to me firsthand who, you know, wanted it really bad and was amazing, super talented. And then other people I would meet and get to know who are maybe like later in their career and I've known who they are my whole life and loved them and never realized like, oh, even someone like that can feel like they're starting from scratch that's what i dislike so much about the entertainment industry is that from like a spectator viewpoint we think that anyone who's made anything great is like there and that they're comfortable now but that's opposite of how it is it's like once someone has made something great and is known for making something great they then have this constant anxiety and fight to make something better than that or to get higher than because now they're going to be critiqued upon that thing that they made and all of the you know the critics and the fans and this and that are constantly looking for something new and constantly going oh this isn't as good as that thing that you did or it's like you know, in like the 70s or something, mm-hmm. people loved a band. And they love that band today, still. But nowadays, it's like, people are obsessed with one person for like a month. I know. And then That's they're obsessed true. with somebody else. True. So being like a superstar now, is just a whole different ballgame. There's certain celebrities um, and entertainers that are smart. They said they, they don't look at press like they don't read press about themselves but, but you i think, think everyone do, says that, that? i have literally right, seen right, right. i they fucking all do like mm-hmm. anyone who's mm-hmm. doing an interview why are you doing an interview are, are you do you live in like a house with no internet you have a pr agent it's a nice thought and i'm sure that the intention is there you know i'm sure that like they do intend to mm-hmm. not go out of their way to read things. But I don't, I think that if you're an artist, you're like innately. Well, you want to know that your work want is making a on difference, your art. right? So like, why would you not look for that response when part of the reason why you're making your art or whatever you're creating is you want to see how it's received? Yeah, because it's the way that people talk online, it's deliberate. It's, a, it's trolling. So it's not like you can't take it. Per- People say insane things because it's their only outlet to be insane. It's, but it's on purpose. It's like people, when Gaga made the littlemonsters.com website, it was so that kids would have a place to go where there wasn't any trolls. And people would still, there'd be like a hundred troll accounts with the same picture that would appear and write like really awful comments and they would go after and try to delete Mm. them and they would just keep making them. There are people who entertain themselves by going on the internet and being nasty. So if you allow that to like capture you, it's like, well, that's why they're there. 
it's like if you're at a baseball game, the guy was like, hey, meta, meta. It's like he's not like telling you that you have yeah. a small dick. <laughs> it's like it's not that your personality sucks. Yeah. It's heckling. So you can't like get all into your head like, am mm-hmm. I a bad person? No, it's like some 12-year-old in their basement who's like, what am I going to do today? Oh, this looks fun. <laughs> I'm going to, like, take out my inner rage yeah. on some rando. What's on the horizon for you right now that you're excited about? Are you are you trying to, like, do more painting? Yeah, I actually haven't painted in a little while. I need to because it makes me very happy and chilled out. Um, right now, I've been doing, like, virtual consultations Sweet. right now. Like yeah. beauty consultations because of, you know, the situation, <laughs> the virus. And I'm going to be creative directing a music awesome. video in the next month or two. I did finally, once I came out of my little zone out, I did get properly tested for Lyme disease. And um, like my other doctor had only done one of the tests. And I guess it's not as effective and it turned out I have late stage yeah, Lyme. Yeah, that was yeah, called yeah. when Chronic it's like Lyme had, or late stage Lyme. Yeah, I have late stage Lyme, so I have no idea how I got it. Like I don't remember having like a bite. I've had Lyme disease. I've had to work through it. Is is getting the diagnosis for Lyme is like a big W win because like people go their whole lives with a mystery illness. Do you know what I'm trying to say? And then they get put on a drug that's like yeah. not even for. Lyme disease. The doctor who I see now specializes in Lyme and has me in all these different antibiotics that are specific and like switches them. And, you know, it's a long process when you have like late stage Lyme if you don't catch it right away. But it has made me look at everything differently. I've been to so many different doctors. I've had so many different like treatments that just like in tests, like CAT scans and MRIs and like things hooked up overnight and nobody you know they'd all be like I don't know you know like what's ha- why does this hurt so bad what's happening with this oh you know it's probably just part of the lupus so getting that proper diagnosis it's like they think you want them to say you don't have this like you'll be relieved but when you're sick and you don't know why all you want is for somebody to say when, when, this I is got what told it is. I, when I got told that I had Lyme, I was, I did cartwheels in the doctor's office straight up. Like I literally did. <laughs> and, um, tears of joy because how are you supposed to get better if you're not even knowing what you're working on? Right. So it's like, yeah. And then you just yeah. feel crazy. You're like, so am I just really exhausted? So I'm yeah. And it's not well I'm... understood by like doctors that don't understand Lyme. It's really not well understood. Definitely take care of yourself. And don't don't neglect your body like that's I did. the message we want to hammer home to people, right? <laughs> yeah. I want that yeah. to be the takeaway. Yeah. Don't take away from this. Oh my gosh. Okay, so if I wanna achieve my goals, I just have to like throw caution to the wind and do anything I need to. And if I feel like I'm gonna die, I'm probably almost there. That's not the message. Thank Definitely you for not. clarifying that. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> I feel like if you really love something, I think you want to set yourself up to do it for as long as you possibly can do it. And it's like... Absolutely. Yeah. Being that Gaga is so inspirational, she's... By the way, she's had to per- persevere through a lot. She got dropped from Def yes. Jam. She was like broken up about it, I remember. So like... Ooh. And during the Born This Way ball, she fractured her hip. Wow. And- so she was doing some of that same stuff. We're not going to go there. We, we, were just, both we like... just cleaned that up. We're not going to go there. But, but like, yeah. what, I'm, what, I'm, what I wanted to know is just spending so much time with Gaga. How did that change you? She definitely, like, I've always been super creative and had, like, all sorts of creative ideas and, like, some of them crazy. And, you know, when I was younger, probably before I moved to L.A., L.A. kind of, like, smushes people um (laughs) smushes their spirits a bit you know being around her all the time and spending so much time with her definitely brought that back like I can be like wouldn't it be cool if you like 
came like something that was in a dream of mine that like I'd be embarrassed at that point in my life to like say out loud because it just sounded stupid but to her I could be like what if you like were covered in crystals and like came in on a dragon who has had ice coming out of his mouth we could have those kind of conversations where you just like let your brain connect with the creative center and it just let it flow out and don't have to like filter yourself and you get the best stuff that way because you don't have anyone there going like what that's impossible that's stupid that I don't like that you just have somebody going like yeah oh my god and then can execute it you like walk in the next day and there's like a dragon blowing ice out its mouth you're like ah (laughs) so having like the complete cycle of knowing anything you want to like create you can execute it's all doable. Things that people come in are like, we can't do this. This is like not a thing. She'd be like, yes, it is. And then it would happen. So it's like knowing that if you have it in you, <laughs> you want something to happen. Literally anything is possible. Maybe sometimes you have to like be a famous, important person for some things to happen. But knowing that, having that in your back pocket, know that anything is possible, literally. I was just looking up at a helicopter the other day, right? And I'm like, we were in horses and buggies. <laughs> like, there was literally horses and buggies. Like, if you're like told those people that there's going to be this flying thing, like, yes, anything's possible. I agree. The conversations, Tara, that you were having, yeah. most times if people try and have those conversations with other people, there's always a but. Like you can't like, I want to do this. And then they would be like, but, but with you and Gaga having this conversations, it was like, and, and like it turned yes. it from like a butt to an and like, I want to have a dragon and can that dragon have crystals like flowing around it? Like that type of thing. If you're creative, you need to have other people, even if it's not right around people, you can call on a daily basis. That, that's, exactly that sort of that's exactly with. what I was going to say. Otherwise you're going to default to like, that other frequency that's out there that's like of you like, can't do oh, things. Oh, I, I guess I can only do this. Yeah, yeah. I guess so, this is all that's possible. You need people that are like, yeah, you can do everything. And what about this? And why don't you go exactly. write a book? Or why don't you – because you can. You need exactly. people who believe in you. Like to the umpteenth degree, not just like a cheerleader, but people – at least one person who like – really believes in you like believes in your potential and your ability the majority of people have like an idea of the world and what's possible and I think that's actually quite normal it's like baseline so having people or at least one person that you can talk to who can like be impossible with you where you're like you know you can say outrageous things or ideas and they can elaborate on them with you and actually have faith that you can do that. It's very powerful. It really like can strengthen your own faith in yourself and then your ability to make it happen. Have you learned to not bring up ideas and stuff around certain people? Yeah, for sure. Right, right. That's, that's what I, I still need to learn that. I still need to learn. <laughs> sometimes I'll have that conversation and then I'll feel disappointed after or I have that conversation. Or if you do, you, know? you can't let yourself get disappointed. You have to like keep your own universe so strong. And I think that would also tap back into the whole social media and critic thing. Mm-hmm. It's like as an artist, the only thing that's going to let you survive <laughs> is that your own universe is so strong. It's not an ego. It's just your like your little bubble, your universe of like magic. It's like a magic sphere that's around you. It's like everything in here is magical. You, you, like, need, to, you need to guard that shit is what yeah, you're saying. Guard and if, that well, bubble. Just, you just yeah. have to keep it magical. So like if someone else doesn't believe in magic, it's okay. It doesn't mean that like magic isn't, doesn't exist. You have magic in here. It just means they don't understand it. They don't believe in magic. They don't, they, they don't live on that wavelength but it doesn't affect you like we would be traveling it'd be super easy to get into 
kind of just like a numbness, like you're in a place, you're in a place, they all look the same when you're inside a stadium. And But I would make an active effort to look and see everything. It sounds weird, maybe, but like I would be like, oh, okay, we're here. What does it smell like? What does it look like? Like, look at it. Like, this is a different place. And then it would suddenly like hit me like, oh, yeah, this is like it's and whoever's in the taxi with me would be like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, because we're all exhausted. And when you're tired, it's easy to just like shut down and look at your phone. And but there's so many things to see and hear everywhere all the time. It's like right now there's a snowstorm outside. Yeah, the instinct is like curl up, get cozy and like whatever. But like instead I like put on boots and jackets and like run outside in the snow and chase my dogs around. It's like doing things like that that might be opposite of what your instinct is, but that like reconnect you with like the spirit of play and fun and like your childlike excitement of everything. Amen. Amen to that. Amen to that. That kind of helps you build up your bubble. I I love that bubble idea though for sure. The the, the bubble keeps us in that like really anything is possible zone. Yeah. Which I'm such I'm such a fan of that zone. I was visiting in St. Louis my mom for like maybe a holiday or something. And she was like, do you want me to get you a passport? Like we, we can go and take a photo and get you a passport. And I was like, yeah, I guess so. And then I was like, I think I should take like, I don't know where this came from. It just like, mm-hmm. I, I said it and I forgot I said it. And she re- keeps reminding me that I said it. Like I need to take like, um, what is it? Etiquette classes. She was like, Why? Like I needed to know like how I would like greet the Queen of England. She's like, why would Whoa. you need to know that? I was like, I don't know. It just like feels like something you should know. And then within like a few months, I had that job. I got the job. And then I like called my mom and was like, Hey, we're going to go meet the Queen of England. And she was like, You literally like said this to me like months ago. And I was like, I did. <laughs> No, I didn't. She was like, yes, you did when I was getting your passport. Because when I called her, when I got the offer for the job, and they said... Wait, I, within, within how long? <laughs> within how long? Though? This is within months. Like, when I called her saying I had the offer, I didn't even know if I had a passport yet. Because it hadn't... I wow. don't know if it processed. I was like, remember when you wow. said you wanted to get me a passport? Do I have it? She was like, yes, I'll mail it to you overnight. That's incredible. We all have the power... So literally do anything we want. We just have to like decide what that is and make it happen. And like not let anybody tell us that you can't. If they do tell you, I just think- be like, okay, cool. Like you don't get it. When I told my friends I'm going to become a makeup artist one morning, all of them were like, that sounds crazy. They were like, oh, you're going to be a face painter like at the fair. It didn't phase me. Like, I just knew I was going to, if I'm deciding to do this, I'm going to, like, do it. Like, I went to school, and in classes, they were like, you're going to have to work at the makeup counter first. And I immediately was like, no, I'm not. Like, I just, like, tuned that part of the glass out. And then I very quickly got to where I did, because I decided that. So when now I say something, and someone's, like, has that similar reaction, it doesn't, like, interrupt my bubble, because I'm like, yeah, well, if I had listened to them then, I would never have done what I did. Anyone who does that to you, they're the fool. You're not the fool. <laughs> they're the one you should feel sorry for who can't think outside their little world. If you're able to think outside and, like, think of huge things, then, like, you're the lucky one. That's Let's on go. That's that was not, it right there. That was it right there. We got to end on that note because yeah. that was that was that was powerful, man. Thank you so much, Tara. Where can people find you? I am all over the internet. <laughs> um, TaraCivello.com is my website, but I'm also on 
Instagram and Twitter and TikTok, Tara Savello. The makeup artist, you gotta be on IG. <laughs> yes, right? I of am. Course. We'll link it up in the show notes. Thank you so much for appearing today. This has been great. Thank you for Thank having you. me. Thank you everybody for tuning in and I uh, hope you got a lot out of this. I know I did and we'll see you next episode. Thank you so much again for tuning in to today's episode. It really means the world to me. If you heard anything relatable that created new awareness for you, please visit our podcast on iTunes and leave a rating or review. This helps build our audience. Please comment, like, and share this episode out with your family, friends, coworkers, or anyone who you feel would benefit from the messages shared in today's episode. I'm really, really grateful for your help in spreading these messages of hope and wisdom. The world is in such great need right now and your support helps carry the message onward to others who need it. Also, please consider becoming a monthly financial contributor to the podcast. You can do so by visiting connectionismagic.com and clicking on the Patreon link. Patreon is a third-party platform which helps support creators in exchange for exclusive content and offers. You'll be able to get discounted merchandise like comfy hoodies, t-shirts, as well as retreat discounts where we'll have special guest speakers and group activities to connect you with like-minded community members. Again, thank you so much for tuning in and until next time, please stay connected.